You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Um, we've called this getaway heartbeat because our, our desire was to gather what we call the heartbeat of the church, uh, the engine room of the church. And, and we really were targeting those that are locked into Generation City Church. You've partnered with us to help us build what Jesus has called us to build uh, in our church in Newcastle. And tonight is just about gathering you together for a time of impartation, encouragement, networking, connection, and to inspire you to go to another level for the next season in the life of our church. I am aware that we have a couple of newcomers to our church here tonight, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, Hopefully you'll catch the heartbeat of the house um, tonight and tomorrow morning. And uh, you'll get to know some of the people that uh, really do make up the engine room of our church. There's quite a few couldn't make it. Uh, Again, as I said, you know, our culture is we live in a very busy uh, world. And a lot of people are working, shift work, and and so on. Couldn't get uh, organised things for their kids and sitting for kids and so on. But you're here, and that's what's important. And uh, tonight I just want to share with you a few thoughts around the concept of teamwork You know, many of you would be aware that a few years ago, um, the devil made a very, very proactive move to fracture our church right down the middle. And, uh, you know, it was a very trying time, very challenging time, a time that drove both Margot and I to our knees in the midst of probably one of the most oppressive demonic attacks that we had ever encountered uh, in church life. And uh, thank God we're through that. But the interesting thing out of it is that when the dust settled, there were still people putting their hand up saying, I want to get involved. I want to serve kingdom purpose. I want to build what Jesus is building here uh, in in Generation City Church. And, uh, you know, I was thinking of Moses. He was so struggling on his own, doing leadership on his own, doing ministry on his own. And the Lord came down and said to him, gather to me 70 men from the tribes of Israel, 70 who are respected and known amongst the people, elders amongst the people, and bring them to me in the tabernacle. And the interesting thing that the Lord said to Moses was, I will take of some of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. And he said these words, they will bear the burden with you. They will stand with you in the tabernacle and they will bear the burden with you not become a burden to you. And, you know, and I've been around church leadership uh, long enough to know that many, many pastors have found people become a burden rather than help bear the burden. And uh, I just thank God we don't have a church like that. You know, we, I just feel so blessed to be surrounded by such a faithful core of people who are about kingdom purpose over personal preference and who really want to sow in and build what Jesus is building. I I want to read to you tonight from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, a very well-known passage that talks to us about the power of teamwork. Uh, Solomon says here, two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? You'll probably find that out tonight. (laughs) 
Where's my wife? Where's my husband? Just put your bed socks on, you'll be fine. If two lie, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And of course, that verse that we use at weddings, a threefold cord, is not easily broken. You know, I, I don't believe the church will truly be effective in her ministry until we come to grips with the power of teamwork, till we truly come to grips with the fact that we are all meant to play a part, not the whole, but a part, linking arms together, my strengths with your strengths, my gifting with your gifting. That's how the body is called to function. Um, You know, it's interesting, as foolish as the devil is, he's not stupid. Even he and his kingdom operates as a team. When Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees and say, they began to say that he casts out demons by the power of the devil, he, he kind of shook his head. He said, are you guys serious? He said, don't you know that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand? Don't you know that a house that is divided against itself cannot stand? He said that the devil, you see, operates as an organized team of little demonic entities so that they can forward their cause, push their agenda. So even the devil knows the power of team. And the Lord wants the church to come to the understanding that teamwork is really what it's all about. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, I know that's talking about finding Adam a mate, a wife, a partner in life. But you see, there's enough in the Bible for me to know that it's not just about finding a marriage partner. It's not good for man to ever be alone. And that's why in Psalm 68, verse 6, we read, God sets the solitary, the alone, in families. This is a family tonight. It's the family of God. And if you are single or if you are alone or you're suffering loneliness, his desire and plan is to have you planted in the family of God so that you're a part of a bigger team functioning together. You see, it's in the family unit that we learn responsibility. It's in the family unit that we learn to share. It's in the family unit that we learn to carry the load and help bear the burden for the big picture of the purpose of the family. And in this case, it's the family of God. In Proverbs 18, verse 1, we read that a man who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment. You see, God's plan is for you to function in a team, to not run alone, to not be alone, to not live alone, to do life partnered with somebody who can sharpen you, who can challenge you, who can call you to higher levels and lift you to higher levels. And, and it's the plan of God to do that. It, it's, it's the way he's always worked throughout history. You know, he, he called Moses. But it's interesting, he partnered Moses with his brother Aaron. Remember, Moses had a stammering problem, a stuttering problem. There was something. Moses is going, you've picked the wrong guy. I can't talk properly. And so he partners him with Aaron. And Aaron, in many cases, becomes the voice, the mouthpiece for Moses. And so the two of them partner together and become an incredible force. David, King David, a military genius when you study his history and how he led the nation of Israel. But he didn't become a military genius on his own. He was strengthened by his partnership with Jonathan. And Jonathan and he became like two peas in a pod. 
You know, you, you read through the whole of Scripture and you find that there are so many examples. Jesus trained his disciples in groups. And isn't it interesting? He sent them out in pairs. He didn't send them alone. He paired them up with somebody else because he, he understands we need each other. You know, two are better than one. Jesus knew that. He understood that. So he sent them out in pairs. He trained them in groups and sent them in pairs. Uh, when, when the people of God teamed up together in Nehemiah chapter 3, one of the most amazing chapters on teamwork in the Bible, Nehemiah chapter 3, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. Not 52 years. That's mind-blowing. They didn't have the machinery, the cranes, the excavation uh, equipment that we have today. They just had their hands, their feet, their ropes, their slings, their sickles, their their uh, 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 chisels, their hammers, and so on. And they teamed together. And you read the whole chapter of Nehemiah 3, and you find this group built this section of the wall. This group built that section of the wall. This group built this section of the wall. And together, they built the entire wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. That's less than two months. You, you know, it, we don't even... We take longer than that to get things through council today. It's like, but not back then. And that's, that's the power of teamwork. We have to understand that we are called to be a team. You see, even God himself is a team player. That's why we have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father decreed the plan of salvation. The Son carried out the plan of salvation, and the Holy Spirit appropriates it to the believer, the work of salvation. So even, even they operate as a team. You look down through history, you, you find that even outside the kingdom of God, team players have been incredibly successful. There's not too many loners that have really made it. You know, Orville and Wilbur Wright were bicycle mechanics. But they teamed up together and became the first two men to fly. These two guys had something together that neither one of them had on their own. I look at the Vienna Boys Choir, and I'm not overly into that kind of music, but you can't say that they don't have incredible voices. And when you, you isolate one of those kids and get them to perform, it sounds great. But put them together, you've got a class act. I remember hearing somebody say once, you can whistle a tune, but you can't whistle a symphony. Let that sink in. You can whistle a tune, but you can't whistle a symphony. It takes a team to whistle a symphony. Uh, you know the three tenors, the Italian singers, Placido Domingo, Jose Carreras, and uh, Luciano Pavarotti. Great operatic singers in their own right, but put those three tenors together... And they sold millions of dollars worth of recordings because that's what team does. Team works really well. I mean, the list could go on. Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, Abbott, uh, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, um, you, you know, the Marx Brothers. You, you, you look at these guys. They were, they were teams that were very, very good at what they did. Your, your and in life is critical to your end in life. Your and, A-N-D, is critical to your end, E-N-D, in life. Who are you doing life with? Who are you doing ministry with? Now, I'm talking to the converted tonight because you're here, because you've partnered with us. You've locked arms with us. You've, you've decided, I'm going to build what Jesus has called this church to build, and I like what I see, I like what I feel, and I'm going to move forward. You know, who is your end in life? You know, there was Paul and Barnabas. 
There was Peter and John. And I don't say this lightly. There's Marty and Margot. You know, and I believe the reason I'm still standing today over that challenge just a few years back, uh, it, it almost took me out. And you've heard me share some of this from the platform in, in uh, you know, the last two years, I suppose. I've touched on it and I've talked a little more about it. But, you know, it's been my and in life that has often lifted my head above water. There's times where I've been sinking and I'm going, I can't do this anymore. And Margot just says, get up. You've got it in you. You've got a call of God upon your life. And it's like the stirring, the motivation. You know, who is your and in life? You know, we've got to be people who do life partnered with somebody. You know, there is power in teamwork. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to 8, we read that the people who had multiplied from the Garden of Eden and had begun to spread out, they had become one. They all had one language. They all spoke the same lingo. They were all together. They moved east from where the Garden of Eden was and they came to Babylonia and they found this huge flat piece of land and they began to reason amongst themselves saying, let's build a city and make ourselves famous and in the middle of the city, let's build a tower that reaches heaven. It was an idolatrous thing. The tower that reaches heaven was almost like an idol. It was like a, a temple of some sort. And they began to make bricks. They began to do what happened in Nehemiah chapter 3. They began to partner together. They began to work together. And here's the interesting thing. You read that in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, God comes down and checks out what they're doing. And the Lord says an interesting thing. He says, this is what they have endeavored to do because they are of one mind one heart, one language, one purpose. And because their purpose was an ungodly purpose, the Lord had to scatter it. He had to shut it down. And so he came down, he confused their language and scattered them and broke up the, the group that was beginning to achieve something really magnificent. And, and then you, you develop from there into the nations of the earth and so on with the various language groups. But isn't it interesting? God says what they have purposed to do now nothing will be impossible to them. I've got to stop this from happening because he could see the evil intent behind it. But can you imagine if the church got a hold of that kind of, of a unity, that kind of a, a grip on this is what we are called to do and I'm going to find my place. I'm not going to be jealous of somebody else's place. It's interesting, you know, when they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, they didn't go, oh, he got the northern wall where it's nice and warm. Why did we have to get the southern warm in the shade? You know, they just, they just did what it took. It was interesting. We were at Hillsong Conference last week, and Casey Treat, who hasn't been to Hillsong Conference for many, many years, um, he, he was talking about being in the ministry, and he was talking about job profiles. And I've always hated job profiles. And he really, he really justified my stand. He got up and he said he's had people come onto his staff and saying, well, what's my job profile? He said, have you written it out for me? He said, I don't need to write it out for you. I can tell you right now, whatever you, whatever you want, whatever you, this is your job profile. This is what it is. You ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. And they get their pen out, ready to go. Whatever it takes. That's your job profile. When you're in the kingdom of God, when you're in the, in the church of God, when, you, when you're building the purpose of Jesus, well, you know, it's not demarcation. Well, I don't do that. This is my job over here. We do whatever it takes, no matter where we find ourselves. You know, there is great, great power in teamwork. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 18, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. There is power in teamwork. You know, when you build teamwork, you multiply your effectiveness. You don't double it. When you, two are better than one. And here's the interesting thing. According to Deuteronomy 32 verse 30, we read that one can chase a thousand. But two, two thousand, two can put ten thousand to flight. I find that interesting. You'd think, well, if, if I can do a thousand and I partner up with Steve over here, we could be able to do two thousand. No, something happens when our motives are right, when our heart is pure, when our desire is to serve kingdom purpose, and I partner with Steve, I don't double my effectiveness, I multiply it. Something happens supernaturally in the heavens. And that's what happens in the church. When we become one heart, one mind, one mission, one purpose, one kingdom, we multiply our effectiveness. You know, we need to come to grips with the value of teamwork. I, I love this illustration, and some of you probably have heard me share it, although I can't remember the last time I shared it. First time I saw snow was in Katoomba when we were in Bible college. And I remember standing out in the snow and little soft white snowflakes were just falling on my face into my hair. Yes, I had hair. I had hair. (laughs) And they're falling. And as it's hitting my skin, it's just slowly melting away. Little fluffy, soft snowflakes. No power whatsoever. Fluffy, soft snowflakes. I went to go get in my car to go to work that morning because it was on a semester break and I was working as a cleaner in a local nursing home. And uh, actually, Neil, you might even remember this. Um, you might have already left college. Uh, we were looking after uh, Fred and Doris Lancaster's house, house sitting. And it was during a two-month semester break and I got up, walked out into the snow and I got in my car to go to work, drove off down the hill, came to a T-intersection coming down. I'd never, I'd never been in snow. I didn't know you couldn't drive in snow. I had no idea. I got in my car, going down the hill, put my blinker on, put the brake on, and off we went into the weeds. Straight down, mounted the gutter. Lucky there was nothing coming out, although it probably wouldn't have been because everyone had more sense than me. I wondered why I was the only car on the road. Mounted the gutter and ended up in the bush, and the car stayed there for about two or three days. Um, and I had to walk back home. And I found out that Katoomba was, was cut off. Couldn't get in, couldn't get out. How did that happen? Fluffy little powerless snowflakes. You see, on their own, they can do nothing. Put them together, they paralyze a city. That's what can happen in the church. Put us together, we will paralyze a city. Power of teamwork. You know, when we we build teamwork... um, you have a greater chance of going the distance. Greater chance of crossing the finish line. Because when you're on your own and you get tired, remember if one falls and he's on his own, he has no one to lift him up. But when you're in a team, if you fall, sometimes you end up on the stretcher and your teammates carry you. And then when you've recovered, you get off the stretcher and you go again. If you didn't have your teammates, you probably would have died on the sideline. When you, when you build teamwork, you have a greater chance of going the distance. One of the greatest motivations in, I believe, ministry is words of affirmation and encouragement. Hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, love what you're doing. You're bearing fruit. You're really going uh, at it, and we love it. We, you know, it's, it's like you don't get that alone. You only get that when you, you are in a team. You know, teamwork will increase your courage, and it will 
multiply your strength, but it will protect you from attack. When a lion's after a lamb, he doesn't go for the flock. He looks for the straggler. He looks for the one that's drifted away, the one that's isolated, the one that's on their own. One of my favourite movies, and I've got a few, Braveheart is one of them. Um, the other one is Gladiator with Russell Crowe. I remember the scene when they were first thrust into the arena and they didn't know what was coming through those gates. But all they had was a shield and a sword. And they waited and they waited and they're all walking around not knowing where they're going. And at the time they didn't know that Maximus was a general, Caesar's general, and was highly skilled in, in warfare. The gates opened and out through the gates came the chariots with the big blades spinning on the wheels. It was like it was just a mincemeat show for bloodthirsty spectators. And they kind of looked at each other and went, well, we're just sheep for the slaughter. And yet Maximus gathered them together, formed a circle and said, put your back to the middle and put up your shield. They couldn't guard their back, but the people behind them could. Forming a circle on their own, they would have been mincemeat. And out of there, he began to scream commandments and, and direction and, and motivation and stirred them. This is what, and they took out the chariot. Now, I know it was Hollywood. Okay, I understand that. But you get the principle. It, it, it was teamwork that did it. It was teamwork that gets us through. When we build teamwork, we increase the fruitfulness of individual giftings. I'm not a big V8 supercar fan, but I do like watching Bathurst. When Bathurst is on, I, I can't sit there all day and watch it because I'm in church, like you. <laughs> but when, when I am there, I can't even sit and watch it, but I like watching it. I, bits of it come back, go away, come back, you know, watch it and so on. The thing that fascinates me the most is not watching them go around the track. It's the pit stop. It is mind-blowing what happens in that pit stop. And, and seconds are critical. And you watch the car when, when the winner... I don't know who won the last one. Um, does anyone know who won the last Bathurst? Craig, Craig Lowndes again? I mean, he's won quite a few, hasn't he? Bloke in a car. The interesting thing, the guy who wins... The thing that gets him over that finish line is not just his driving skills... He is absolutely dependent on a pit crew. If that car malfunctions, his driving skills mean zero. They pull into that pit stop and it amazes me. The car hasn't even stopped rolling and it's airborne. You know, I kind of blink and when I open my eyes again, and you blink pretty fast, the wheels are already off. It's like zzz, 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 off, off, the new wheels are on. And not only that, in less than 30 seconds they change brake pads. Take me a week to change brake pads on my car. Take me a day to get the wheel off. But I look at that and seconds mean everything, you know. And it's like they refuel the car. They change the wheels. They, they, they wipe the windscreen. They, they, they do what, sometimes they even change drivers. And then, bang, they're gone. And it all happens in less than 30 seconds. It's mind-blowing. There's power in teamwork. And, you know... Teamwork alone in the church is not quite enough. There's got to be a unified heart. You know, I want to I show you something. In, um, in Philippians chapter 2, 
verse 20 and 21, Paul says an interesting thing. He says to the church in Philippi, I'm about to send Timothy to you. And then he says this, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and their personal affairs and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Who were all the others? It was obviously other Christian ministers. It was other Christ followers. It was other people who were aspiring to the ministry. And, and Paul says that, you know, they want to serve God and they talk like they want to serve God, you know, but I really don't have anybody who is as like-minded than I do in Timothy. And I want to send Timothy to you. But then he goes on and he says, I want to send Epaphroditus to you. Actually, it's interesting with Steve McCracken here, his dad, David, was with us in 2007. It was the first time he came with us. And his sermon on the Sunday morning was one big prophecy about the heart of our church. And in 2007, he, he said, and I've written some of these things down, uh, he's ra- God is raising up a people who will impact the broken, the lonely, the hurting, the homeless, the destitute people of our city. Now, I've said this before. Don't just think broken people are the people with the backside out of their pants. There's a lot of broken people wearing suits. We've had an experience recently, and I'm not going to go into details for the sake of protecting dignity, but somebody that's had connection with our church that is a a professional is so, so broken, and they're walking a journey at the moment and you would not even know. And when that happened, it's like the Holy Spirit said to me, you have to be aware there are a lot of broken people who don't look broken. We need a heart for the people that are broken internally and their, their life hasn't quite fallen apart for it to all hang out and become obvious. But David McCracken went on and said, those who carry the compassion of Jesus will receive an empowerment from Jesus for miraculous Kingdom expression. I, I believe we are living in those days today as a church. You visit Hope Cafe, there's a lot of smashed up people coming in every Thursday night, lost their way. But the interesting thing is they're starting to trickle more and more into church on Sunday. They're making comments. It's great Janice here tonight, and unfortunately Gary was unable to be with us tonight. Um, you know, they're, they're hearing, and Jono hears all the time, people are just saying there's something about this church. We feel safe here. It's interesting. We, it's been prophesied over us that we would be a safe house. We feel safe here. You people are the real deal. These are the kinds of comments we're getting. There's something in this place that is just drawing, and Mary is a part of that team as well. So you've probably heard many of those same comments and people are starting to come through the door. We're starting to see our church impact more and more of the broken. Now not everybody's called to minister to the the drug addict, the street person. It it takes a unique kind of person. But this is where teamwork comes into play. You know, we've got a great team who never leave the kitchen. It's 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 just the way it works. But that kitchen crew is needed. It's like, oh we can't give you a meal tonight, but hey we're happy to hear your story. It's like, no, as they're hearing the story, someone's putting a meal in front of them. And, it, and value's being put on them. And, it's, uh, and I saw the meal last night. Tyler's here. Tyler's here, working in our kitchen right now. And this guy's got a, a chef background. 
so I can just see the menu going to a whole new level for Hope Cafe. But I walked in and there's this big pot of stuff on the stove and I thought, that looks fantastic. That's dinner. No, that's just the gravy. It's like, that's just the gravy. <laughs> and then I saw photos of it on Facebook. It was like, you know, but it's just amazing. And we are really touching and hitting the broken. But in order for us to be a church, I'm starting to get a little bit off track here, but let me say this. If you're an usher here tonight and somebody says to you, what do you do in the church? Don't say, I'm an usher. Say, I put value on people. Because that's what we're doing. Oh, what do you do? I make the tea and coffee for Sunday morning after church. No, no, no. You put value on people. You see, all the things behind the scenes all go together. For those that are on the front line, when the, when the soldiers go to war... You know, they don't supply their own ammunition. It's shipped into them. And they need those trucks. They need those guys. They need those people back home doing all that to get so they can keep fighting on the front line. The people that are out there really ministering to the down and out and the broken need everybody behind the scenes. You know, we set the stage up. But to, to be a person who really effectively becomes a team player, I believe you need the spirit of Epaphroditus. Paul said, I want to send Timothy to you. But in the meantime, I'm going to send Epaphroditus. It's all in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through to verse 30. I'm going to send Epaphroditus. And then Paul says this about Epaphroditus. He says, he is a, a true brother. Then he goes on and says, Epaphroditus is a faithful worker. And then he says, and he's also a courageous soldier. That's a true team player. Are you a true brother tonight? Are you a true sister tonight? You see, Paul didn't commend Epaphroditus because he had friends in the church. Paul didn't commend Epaphroditus because he went to church regularly. He, he commended him because he was a true brother. He treated the church as his family. And he saw the church in the same way he saw his blood family. He loved the people of God. He was there for the people of God. He laid down his life for the people of God. Paul goes on and says he risked his life for you. That's what it says about Epaphroditus. He is a true brother. We are brothers and sisters. We're not just friends in the church. We stand alongside. We lock arms. We encourage. When one is down, the other picks him up. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 4. When one is struggling, the other carries the load because we are called to bear the burden with each other, not be a burden to each other. Um, you know, he wasn't relational at a superficial level. There was accountability. You know, when you're in the family of God, there's accountability. Who, who, can, who can speak into you? Who can tell you no? You know, I remember Darlene Check said at a, a Hillsong conference many years ago, true submission is not submission until you're told no. That's when you know whether you're truly submitted or not. And, and, you know, accountability is what sharpens us. It's what challenges us. Who can speak into your life? Who can tell you the hard things? You know, we all want encouragement, but we don't want the correction. We don't want the adjustment. We don't want to be realigned and tweaked and fine-tuned. You, you know, but when you're a true brother in the family of God, you allow people to challenge you with a spirit of love, and we carry responsibility. You know, many of you know the story of Margot's brother, and, and it's really exciting. He is going the best we have ever seen him go. 
But Margot's brother, most of his life, was a drug addict. And, uh, you know, we have, we have walked a major journey. And, and I know he shared some of his story even at Hope Cafe and, and so on. So I don't believe I'm speaking out of school. But he's been in, in psychiatric institutions, you know, because of his psychotic behaviour as a result of drugs. And, um, you know, we have taken him into our home for extended seasons, fed him, paid bills, got him out of holes. And I look at it over the years... We, we've probably spent thousands of dollars on him and we will never get that back. But you know what? I don't care because he's family. You do that for family. That's the kind of spirit we need in the church. And, you know, the greatest blessing for me is not him coming and saying, oh, look, I've got a check for you. Remember all that? You know, he's, the greatest blessing is when he looks at me and he's going really well. You know, we, we had a week off a couple of weeks ago and we visited his church in Danilba Bay. He goes to a little Baptist church. And it was great to sit next to him in the church. And he's just going great guns. But you see, that's what family does. That's what a true brother does. You know, there's no strings attached. It's just you just do what you've got to do. So he was a true brother. Paul said Epaphroditus was a faithful worker. He wasn't just a hard worker. He was a faithful worker. You see, you can turn up and work hard, but that's the only time you ever turn up. We never see you again. Yeah, that's not the case in this room, I know. But, but don't just be a hard worker. Be a faithful worker. Be a dependable worker. Be a, a, a flexible worker. Be a consistent worker. You know, it's um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 37 says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's an ungodly character trait to make a commitment and not follow through. You're better off saying, no, I can't do it, or no, I don't want to do it, rather than say, yeah, I'll do it, and then not turn up. Uh, you know, but he was a faithful, faithful worker. And lastly, and I'm going to start closing up with this, he was a courageous soldier. So he was a true brother, cared about the family. He was a faithful worker. He did whatever it takes. That was his job profile. Whatever it takes, I'll just serve kingdom purpose. Wherever I can be used, wherever I can be a blessing, I will, I will do whatever it takes. But he was a courageous soldier, someone who didn't easily throw in the towel when things didn't go the way they'd hoped, when things didn't work out the way they'd expected or they'd been praying for. They didn't let a fence get into their heart and derail their destiny. And at the moment, uh, some of you are involved in it, our Sunday night service. We're working through John Bevere's Bait of Satan again. And there's so much gold coming out of that, but it's one of the greatest tools of the devil to derail our faith is to get us offended and, and we just walk away from the church. We get upset and offended. But we, we've got to be courageous soldiers that when the wheels fall off, we stay the course. When the wind blows against us, we just change the sail and let it work for us. We keep pushing through. We keep consistent. We stay faithful. We don't grow weary in doing good. And, and again, I'm preaching to the converted. I, I just thank God for the team that is in this room tonight. You know, you, you are the engine room. You are the heartbeat of the church. And there are so many good things happening in our church right now. So many people stepping up like never before saying, I want to find my place. I want to volunteer. I want, I want to be used for kingdom purpose. And when everybody does that, you haven't got one person carrying the whole load. It's everybody bearing the burden with each other. I just wanted to encourage you with that tonight. And, and um, you know, if you're here tonight and you are new to the church and you've come along, 
That's the kind of heart that I have, is to see people find their place. You know, I, okay, I'm not going to try to embarrass you, Tyler, but Tyler's relatively new to the church. Young man, how old are you, Tyler? 19. I was 19 when I got saved. Have you just got saved? Same age as when I got saved, you know. And how long have you been coming to the church? Six weeks. Six weeks, and he's the head chef. <laughs> Get your head around that. Get your head around that. I said, I said to Gary Pies last night, I said, are you feeling insecure and threatened? He kind of looked at me. <laughs> you know? But the last thing we want is for Tyler to now to be worked like a workhorse. And everyone go, oh, Tyler's here. He's qualified as a chef or whatever it is. He was a butcher, he was telling me last night. You know, so oh, let's all back off and let him do the whole lot. No, perhaps he can teach those that are already doing it how to do it even better. That gravy was unbelievable. And that was just the gravy. I thought that was the meal. It was just the gravy. Good on you, Tyler. I haven't embarrassed you, have I? No, good man. You know, but we are seeing more and more people like Tyler just stepping up, saying, I, I just want to be involved. I love the atmosphere. I love the, the place. And, and you know, God, is, God has been so good in the house, and, and this is the heartbeat. I just wish more of the heartbeat could have been here, but there were I had so many people ring me and say, I really want to be there, but can't. Some are uh, interstate, some are working, some are just tied up with things that they could not get out of. And they're all saying, it is going to be recorded, isn't it? It is recorded? Good on you, it's recorded. So those that couldn't be here will be able to get a hold of it. But it is great to have Steve with us. And Steve, did you want to share anything tonight um, before you're on in the morning? Uh, maybe a teaser? Perhaps you can prophesy something over... <laughs> over Margot about being a better wife and how to care for her husband. And... I can't hear what you're saying there. That's because you need to turn your hearing aid up. How you doing? You want me to leave now, don't you? <laughs> Wasn't that excellent? Seriously, I was sitting there getting fed, fed, fed. I just love the fact that if you've got a heart to learn and a heart to hear from God, you can learn and hear God through anyone. God is speaking all the time, isn't he? And I just, one really simple thought, which came to my room before, and I, and I really feel it ties in. And this whole thing of teamwork um, together, we can really do so much more. And it's not about walking alone. My dad's always said that isolation breeds error. Anyone walking alone, interpreting the Bible alone, serving alone, doing alone, it doesn't work. And if we're not careful when we think about the mission of the church and building the church, aren't you glad that Jesus builds his church? We don't have to. Yeah, he's been highlighting to me recently, it talks about the fact that we are co-laborers in Christ, co-workers. And if you think about any building site, you've always got, you've got one builder, and you've got a bunch of tradespeople, laborers, you've got a bunch of people, and they don't say, oh, I want the wall here, oh, I want the toilet there. No, I don't want that, I'm going to change it. No, there are plans. There's a builder that says, this is what we're doing. And if you're on the site, you're on the site to build according to the plans, but you're not actually building building your co-laboring under a builder. 
There is not multiple builders of the kingdom of God or the church of God in this room. Pastor Marty, Pastor Margo, you're not the builders. That's great. Because he says, I've already got blueprints and plans. And that's what Jesus said in the, in the prayer. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Okay, we're following your plan. And what the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the room, and I just really feel this plays in because you guys are coming up to a time of acceleration as a church. There's going to be some things that shift and change, and God's been speaking to me about some things to do with patterns and paradigms and some different things which I'll speak on Sunday morning to the church. But if we're not careful when we think about the big commission that we get to be a part of, which is Jesus building his church and we get to be a part of it, we can put, we can actually live under a lot of pressure. Anyone been in church and serving for a while and, and sometimes there's a bit of pressure. Now, I felt the Holy Spirit just say clearly, and I just want to drop this in. He said, God said, I don't want my people to live under pressure, but with expectation. See, when we live under pressure, that is a focus on what we need to do. But when we live with expectation, it's a focus on what God desires to do. That shifts everything. You know, sometimes I come into meetings, especially when I call in as a prophet. You know, sometimes, you know, when people look at other people, they think it's always easy for the other people. True? And when you're called to be a prophet, sometimes, you, you know, people are expecting, you know, certain depths of revelation and this and that and painting out the future and picture. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I can go, oh, God, help me. Um, and you can be under pressure. And even when I was over there before, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I don't want you, I don't want anyone to live under pressure. But live with an expectation. And I just felt him say this. He says, my passion... This is God talking. My passion to speak to people, to encourage people, to bless people, to do people good, to change their lives, to reveal the value which was already in them when I created them is much greater than yours. I want to speak. I want to speak. I want to speak. This is God's mission. It's not your mission. It's not my mission. It's not your mission. It's not your mission. This is the master builder. says, I've got a plan. I've got it sorted. Isn't that good? So it's, God, what do you want to do in this moment? That's what we're asking. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, teamwork, 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 teamwork. There's one body. There's one spirit. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one faith. There's one. But then there's many members fitly joined together, supplying everything the body needs. And it goes in and says, you know, the heirs shouldn't say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not part of the body, and, and they shouldn't be fighting over the parts. And it says, and God places every part as he wants. There's no place for us to be fighting over someone else's gift because we don't get to choose them. God chooses it. But it's not for us to do what we want. It's for us to be listening. What do you want, Father? Okay, great. I know what my job is. Again, go to a building site. The, 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 the builder, the, the foreman that comes in and says, hey, can, today I want you to focus on this. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. We have God Almighty. And I want to tell you he's building this church. Let me declare something really, really loud. Because you turn on your TV and you pick up the newspaper and you hear conversations, and there is increasing evil happening in the world. 
We've just heard of another one. I don't know if you heard of that today. I just just saw it passing in, in in Paris. Just horrific, and it's and it's happening, isn't it? More and more, and terror. And, and if we're not careful, we will start to believe that the enemy is up to more evil than God is up to good. And I want to declare bold, and I want to declare loud into your spirits right now that God is doing more good on this earth than the enemy is doing evil. What will get your attention? What will get my attention? Because Generation City Church is here strategic for such a time as this, but it happens when everyone comes. Oh, 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 I feel. This is God's mission. What is submission? Submission. Coming under another mission. God's mission. He goes, I've got a mission. I've got a plan. He even says in Jeremiah, don't you know the plans? I've got, I've got plans. I've got plans. God is not as interested in our plans as he is interested in whether or not we're interested in doing his plans. He is, is to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church right now. God is doing things. God is building things. And he extends an invitation to you and I. Do you want to be on my team? It's not just Gener- Generation City Church team. It's my team. It's my team because he plants people. He plants people. And I praise God for the church down the road and the church around the corner and the church across the town. We're all part of the body of Christ. God is building his church. You've got your distinctive. You've got your unique. Like three children in one family can be unique, but they've all got the same DNA. We've got the DNA of a heavenly father, and God is building his church. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. But this is what I want to just leave you with just this little bit tonight. God doesn't want us living under pressure. Or what do I say? How do we do this? What's going to happen? Almost, if we're not careful, we can almost be begging God, 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 I really pray you do something tonight in the meeting. God, please, will you do something? Almost like he's reluctant. He wants to say to you, I'm much more willing than you are. Uh, I'm much more ready than you are. I, I am yearning. It is my will that none should perish. Oh, although he is, I, I want my glory to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. He's just looking for some people that say, I want to be part of the team. The team that is his team. It happens to be localized here and here and here and here. This is where God has planted us. And it's under a man or woman that has been appointed by God. And their primarily responsibility is to hear, God, what do you want us to do? And to keep in step with the Spirit. Your primary responsibility is to hear from God and keep in step with the Spirit. I love Galatians 5.25. Those that live by the Spirit must keep in step, keep in step, keep in step. God can change his mind if he wants. I just feel the Holy Spirit just stop me right there. Some of us have the thought that God speaks, it's set, and leave. But then when we are in church life, sometimes things change, and things shift, and things stop, and things change. And we go, we get all dis- I thought we were going this way. Allow God the right to change his mind. Hold on to God tightly and everything else lightly. I heard someone say recently the story of when Abraham got told him, God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son you love. I want you to take him up. I want you to 
sacrifice him. Is that what God said? That's what God said, yeah? And when he went up there, just when he was about to kill him, lifted his knife, and God said, stop, don't kill him. What would have happened? If Abraham goes, hang on, that obviously can't be God because God's already told me what to do. I have to do what God told me to do. Imagine the tragedy if Abraham had carried through because God had told him to do something and he hadn't allowed God the right to change his mind because God's sovereign. I just want to encourage you on this journey. On this journey, don't get derailed by change. I didn't intend to go here, but the Spirit of God is just, there's some people in this room right now, this is a word of prevention. My dad's always said prevention's better than cure. Don't get derailed by change. Don't place your greatest trust in a set course, but in the God who's directing our steps and that we can keep in step with. There's something about some set courses that change and when there's a little bit too much hanging on to some set courses, allow God to change things along the way. Is that cool? Hmm. God is doing some good things. God is doing some good things. Tomorrow morning, looking forward to that. I've got one phrase I want to say over and over again. We're going to open the word of God. And I want to drop it into your spirit. And it's going to do you good. And it's this phrase. I'm going to show you from the word of God. It's the one always matters. The one always matters. As you look in your church, as you look in those people coming in through the community. Sometimes we can be so focused as a church on crowds, on groups, on meetings. The one always matters. Always matters. And we're going to lean into that tomorrow. So looking forward to hanging out with you guys, having supper, having times with you. And um, through that time, if we're talking, hey, if you don't mind, I might sometimes say, hey, can I, can I just pray for you? And I just want to pray and bless you. It doesn't have to be in a meeting. Is that, is that okay? Um, I just want to do you good. And um, God bless you. Terrific. Uh, I believe there are some things organised. Uh, we've got supper, um, but in this room, I think um, the men are going to get into their speedos and play Twister. So <laughs> I, I do believe there are some activities. Is that what you arranged, Shelley? Was that the... Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't think the men will be in their speedos. If they are, I won't be in here, believe me. So, um, Jono, did you have anything you wanted to... Uh, what will happen from here? What's happening with supper? You can do that? Okay, great.